here at Southside Bible Fellowship, we believe that since the Bible is God's word, and that everyone that believes in Jesus Christ is a child of God, let us say it together, the Bible is God's word for us. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your love, for your faithfulness, and for moments like this that you give us to hear from you. We know, Lord, that your word does not return to you void. And therefore, this morning we pray that you may accomplish through your word what you intend to accomplish in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we are concluding the, the series that we've been having here concerning the life of Joseph. Last Sunday we saw that Jacob died and he had instructed Joseph to take him back to his land so he can be buried there and Joseph kept that promise. Last Sunday we saw that one of the things that was so clear in the scripture is that God does not give promises he does not intend to keep. We also saw that when God promises something, he's not only committed, he is revealing who he is. That his promises tell us something about him. So Joseph and his brothers have gone to bury their father in the land of promise. When the brothers are coming back to Egypt, something happens to them. Their father's death seems to have revived or revealed their fear. For some reason, they feel insecure. They are no longer sure that Joseph has forgiven them. And so they send a message to Joseph saying that before our father died, he had asked us to ask you to forgive us. The death of their father seems to have wiped the experience they had with Joseph 17 years ago in chapter 45, when Joseph forgave them and hugged them in tears. And they had a good conversation as brothers. And then Joseph asked them to go and bring their father. The death of Jacob seems to have wiped that experience, that incident from their memory. And so when Joseph hears their message, their fear, their doubt, their insecurity, it moves him to tears. And for those of you that have been following this account, you know that Joseph's life is filled with tears. 
tears of sorrow and grief and tears of joy. Here, he sheds tears because his own brothers are doubting his forgiveness. If you look at chapter 15, I mean at chapter 50 from verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? See, one thing that I'm realizing as I look into Joseph's life and his brother's lives is that it's not easy to forgive and we saw Joseph struggling with that and many of us, many Christian, uh, Christians struggle with forgiveness but it's also not easy to receive forgiveness. That's why we have Christians who still struggle with guilt, even though they may have turned to the Lord and asked him for forgiveness, they still struggle with guilt because it's not easy to receive forgiveness. Because when we sin or when we do something wrong, we, we know that we've fallen short of God's glory. But something in us tells us that we, we need to experience something, maybe a punishment of some kind. And that makes it hard for us to accept or even appreciate God's forgiveness without an element of a punishment. And that's why many Christians are also not enjoying their fellowship with one another or even with God, not only because it's hard to forgive, but it's also hard to receive that forgiveness. It's happening to Joseph's brothers. 17 years ago in chapter 45, let, let's look at chapter 45. Uh, you look at verse 5. Joseph told his brothers, after he revealed himself to them, he said, And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. He acknowledges what they did, but he also acknowledges that God was still in control. He acknowledges what they did, but he also acknowledges that he is where he is because God wants him to be there. Joseph found it easier to forgive when he realized that he was where God wanted him to be. Look at verse 15 of chapter 45. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. After he had revealed himself to them and assured them of his forgiveness, he kissed them, weeping in tears. And then they had a very good conversation. The author of Genesis, like I said, in chapter 45, 
He is showing us how forgiveness looks like. You look at uh, Luke chapter 15 when the prodigal son returns home filled with guilt and he tells his father, I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me one of your servants. What does the father do? The father doesn't say, I have forgiven you. No. He embraces him. He dresses him. He prepares a feast for his son. Luke is showing us how forgiveness looks like. And that's the same thing the author of Genesis is doing in chapter 45. So for 17 years, the brothers have enjoyed a good fellowship, a good relationship as a family with their brother Joseph, whom they sold into slavery. But after their father's death, they feel insecure. It happens to all of us. Fear has a way of making us feel insecure. When that which you've been holding on to is taken away, you are tempted to lose hope. It happens to all of us when our, the political candidate of our choice when he or she does not win the election, we feel disappointed. Some people actually will lose hope. It will be like the end of their lives. It happens all the time when the central figure is removed. When the central figure in the society or in the family dies. There's usually a sense of hopelessness because the future of the family, of the children, is threatened. And this is what is happening to Joseph's brothers. Their father, who was holding the family together, is gone, and now they are afraid. But Joseph understands what is going on, he understands that his brothers need assurance. When you are struggling with guilt, after you have asked God for forgiveness, but you still feel disturbed in your heart because you are struggling to accept that he has forgiven you, the deeper need that you have is the need for assurance. You just want to be assured. And that's what the brothers are going through here. And listen to how Joseph responds to them in verse 19 of chapter 50. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Joseph is saying, I cannot do what is God's prerogative. I'm not in God's place. This, everything that is happening here is in God's control. 
The brother's struggle has nothing to do with Joseph. It has everything to do with their relationship with God. Just as our struggle to accept forgiveness has nothing to do with any other person, it has everything to do with our relationship with the Lord and our understanding of the Lord and how we, we see him. And the more we know him, the more we will learn to accept what he has provided for us. Fear, doubt, insecurity reveal our need for assurance. When you are afraid, the deeper need is assurance. You want to be assured that you are safe, that God is with you. That's why Psalm 23 says, David says, when, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear because you are with me. He finds his courage and his assurance in the presence of the Lord. When you are afraid, when you are doubting something, when you feel insecure, you should know that the deeper need that you have is the need to be assured. And it's usually in many cases our struggle to believe what God has already said in his word. Joseph assures his brothers, and then we are told in verse 24 of chapter 50 of Genesis, he said to his brothers, I am about to die. But God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on, on earth to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Jacob asked Joseph to go and bury him there in Canaan, but Joseph is not asking his brothers to go and bury him there. He's telling them, stay with my remains until that day when God fulfills his promise of taking you, returning you back to the land of promise, stay with my remains and carry them with you. That means everywhere the Israelites went in Egypt, they carried Joseph's bones with him. And we are told in verse 26, Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. His story begins with dreams. It ends with a coffin. The dreams reflect God's faithfulness because we see him keeping his promises. 
we see him fulfilling that dream. The coffin reflects great hope. The coffin and the bones are shouting to the Israelites that Exodus is coming. They are a reminder of the hope that they have in the Lord that Exodus is coming. Let me ask you, in the face of fear and death and grief, how and where do you find the strength to go on? How can you smile in the face of fear, death, and grief? There's something that God is showing us here about Joseph, that even in death, Joseph still maintains not only his faith, but also the hope that he has in the Lord and his promises. That Joseph dies, but he dies in faith. And that his death does not bring despair. Instead, it brings hope to the children of Israel. Joseph is dying with assurance. He knows that the Lord will keep his promise. He is assured that my people will return to their land one day. God has said it. I have seen him fulfill all his promises and I'm going to believe him even in death. And that is the hope that is the hope that we have as Christians. Even in death God is still faithful. Even in death we can still trust him. Even in death we can still have hope and we can still have faith. Amen. I hope that the day I will die those who will be left behind will look at my body and their hopes will be revived. That my death will not cause them to despair because death has a way of making us despair because it brings us face to face with the fragility of life. That's why we don't like thinking about it. But as a Christian, when you are assured of your place, when you are assured that the Lord Jesus himself has prepared a place for you, then death, actually your death, becomes a source of hope for someone else. And I'm looking forward for that day that uh, I don't know whether we will still be here but everyone that will gather that day, they will find 
their faith strengthened even more. Hebrews 11:22 says this about Joseph. It says by faith Joseph when his end was near he spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones by faith you know, I think one of the things that the enemy of our faith will always do to our lives is to try and make us doubt the promises that God has given us. To try and make us doubt God's word. That is the greatest strategy. That, that is what he does to young people. He started with the first young people that God created in Genesis. I think Adam and Eve were young people. And the enemy came and said, has, when Eve said, uh, God has told us not to eat this fruit, he said, did he say that? And then he said, God is denying you what you really need. Because he was making them pay attention and focus on their fleshly desires. He's denying you what you really need. Because the day you will eat this fruit, your eyes are going to be opened. He made them focus on that which was forbidden. And by doing that, they failed to focus on that which God had provided for them. He just shifted their attention from what they didn't have and then they forgot everything else that God had provided. And of course, we know the end of the story. The greatest strategy of the greatest deceiver, the father of all lies, is to make God's children doubt God's word. And if he succeeds in doing that in our lives... He will have our attention. And then he will begin to mislead us, to mislead us. In the face of fear, death, and grief, you and I can keep on going. You and I can keep on smiling. You and I can still have faith because, and this is the message that we have from this text, God's intentions are good. That's what Joseph tells his brothers. You intended evil, but God's intentions were good. He meant well. And because I can see it that way now, I am able to forgive you. 
Because I can see what God was doing in my life. I can see what he has done. I am able to turn to you and say, I forgive you. And Christians who struggle with forgiving others is because they have not yet either understood God's forgiveness or they have not yet experienced it or they don't appreciate it. Because once you experience it and understand it and appreciate it, you will know how it feels to be forgiven. And you will want the other person to experience the same also because God's intentions are always good. Now, our experiences may paint a different picture of God. When I was growing up with uh, my mother and my siblings in Kenya, I remember, and this is one of the reasons I don't like moving. Like, I hate moving. Because we moved so much with my mother. From one house to another. We would stay in one house she would fail to pay the rent because of one reason or another. We would be evacuated and we would go to another house. And we would be there for maybe a month or a few months or even a year. And then we would move to another house. And so as a young man, we moved to so many houses. One of the reasons, if you go to the town that I was brought up, people know me so much is because we moved a lot. And my mother is a woman of faith. And she was very committed to her church and to her faith and a very prayerful woman. And as a young man, I would look at her and the struggles she was going through. I would look at her every time we were chased from one house to another. And I would ask myself, what kind of God is this? What kind of God allows a family to be chased from one house to another? Sometimes our experiences paint to us or for us a God who doesn't seem to care, a God that cannot be trusted. And some of us here have those experiences. You look at your children, maybe, and the challenges they are going through, and you are tempted to ask, what kind of God allows this to happen? You lose a loved one, And it just doesn't make sense. Why? Why would God allow this? And these are questions that we find ourselves asking. And then the enemy uses that opportunity to make us doubt this God. 
to make us doubt his word, his love, even his character. As a mother, when you have a miscarriage, you are tempted to ask, and my wife and I did experience that. What kind of God allows this? Is this, is this the God who cares? He knows how painful this is going to be to me, and yet he still allows it to happen. When you have a terminal illness or your life is full of pain, you are tempted to ask the same question. You know I can't take this. Why? Why? Because our experiences, in many cases, paint a very different picture of the God of the Bible. He did the same to Joseph when his own brothers, the ones who were supposed to protect him and to love him, took him and wanted to kill him and threw him into a pit to die there, wounded, lonely. What do you think Joseph was saying? Do you think he was in the pit and he was like, thank you, Jesus. I never knew I would be in a pit one day. You're so faithful. No. No. Those are the moments that you and I are tempted to doubt the faithfulness of God. But the same Joseph, even though he had those experiences that were painting a different picture of God. He is at a place now and he can see clearly. And because he can see clearly, he can say, God has good intentions. And you and I are privileged because even though our experiences may still paint a very bad picture of God, we are privileged because we have his word. And in his word, we can confidently say that he has good intentions. I may be going through an experience that is giving me a different message. And as a Christian, I need to come back to God's word. I need to look at this God. How has he revealed himself? How has he walked with his people? And when I come to a place like this, I see Joseph. I see someone that was almost killed. He was falsely accused. But he can stand and say, God meant well, that encourages me. I may still shed tears, but they will be tears of hope. I may still feel pain, but I will find strength to endure because I know that my God means well. Even when he uses the rod, he still means well. And that's one thing I want my children to understand. That even when I'm spanking you, I mean well. That's one thing I want my daughter to understand, Regency. Wherever you are, 
when I spank you, it's because I have good intentions. When God disciplines us, it's because he loves us and because his intentions are always good. He wants the best for all of us. And my brother and my sister, when we realize that, we will find it easier to forgive one another. We will find it easier to love one another. We will find it easier to accept one another. God's intentions are always good. Do you know why? Because his intentions are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When you look at Jesus Christ, you should see God's intentions, sending his son to die on the cross so that you and I can be saved. He intends well. He means well. Even though Jesus had to experience pain, it was still for our goodness and for God's glory. This, this is our story. This is our hope. This is our blessed assurance, and it is the gospel that we share with everyone else. And so if you don't know Jesus Christ, if he is not yet your savior, I want you to know that God has good intentions for you. That's why he has provided a way out through Jesus Christ. And if you turn to Christ this morning, wherever you are, and ask him to forgive you and to save you, he promises to do that. Because he has good intentions. And he is a God that keeps his promises. You may have several reasons why you are not turning to God. I don't know what reasons you have, but I can tell you this. Every other reason we may give for not turning to God comes from our sinfulness. It does not come from the Lord. And only the Lord has power to forgive us and to transform our sins. And so as we pray for our loved ones who are yet to know the Lord, this remains our message. A popular verse in Romans 8:28 says we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What God does in our lives, at times it may not, it may not be pleasing to us. What he allows may be bad or even good. But the good and the bad, through the good and the bad, God can still work out what he intends to work out. And as believers, that is our encouragement. That is our hope. That is our story. That is our message. Two things that I see here very clearly 
and I will be done. Joseph says to his brothers in verse 19, am I in the place of God? When you realize that God has good intentions, you will not want to play God to someone else. When you withhold forgiveness, you are playing God to someone else. When you are so judgmental on others, regardless of who they are, what they are, or where they come from, you are playing God to someone else. When you or when we are self-righteous, sanctimonious, we think that God was waiting for us to make Christianity what it should be. We are playing God to someone else. And Joseph says, I am not going to do that. When you realize that God has good intentions, you will not play God in someone else's lives. But here's the second thing. He says in verse 21, he tells them, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children and and." He reassured them and spoke kindly to them. When you realize that God has good intentions, you will allow God's intentions to guide your intentions. And that's where the rubber meets the road. The reasons that the Christian church today is still spoken of concerning racism and hatred and all manner of things is one of the reasons is because we have not allowed God's intentions to be our intentions. We have misrepresented Christ. <laughs> and this is the funny part I was sharing with Miles. Uh, this week, or last week. Jesus Christ has been misrepresented by Christians. Christians who uh, presented themselves as so righteous than everyone else. Christians who wants to come to your face. Right? Christians who wants to demonstrate God had sinners, God had sinners, God had sinners. We have misrepresented Jesus Christ. And now, we are afraid of identifying with him. Because we know that we have misrepresented him, we now don't want to identify with him because people will see the misrepresentation. And so Christians now are running away from the misrepresentation of Jesus because they know it's wrong. 
So I'd rather not identify myself as Christian because if I do, this is what people will think because this is what people know about Christians. But this is what we need to do. We need to recognize that Jesus has been misrepresented and then make a choice to represent him the right way. So where there is hatred, we bring love. Where there is divisions, we bring unity. Where there is despair, we bring hope. Instead of running away from that distorted image of Jesus Christ, we should come along and show people how Jesus looks like. And so if you truly believe in Jesus and you have known him, you've known his love, you've experienced his grace, you know the true Jesus Christ, you are the person that the world needs today. You have the message that the world needs to hear. And you and I should not shy away from that. Let me finish by reading Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 and 23. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with the pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your word. And I thank you for every family that is represented here this morning. Only you, Lord, know our hearts. Only you know how you can use us. Only you, Lord, can help us be a testimony to the loved ones in our family who are yet to know you. There's no one else. And therefore, this morning, we turn to you in humility, asking you to use us as it pleases you. And Lord, forgive us. Forgive us where we have misrepresented you. Forgive us, Lord, for shying away. Forgive us for the false presentation of the gospel and of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, may you use us as your vessels. May you use us as open letters to the world, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our loved ones, so that your gospel may be heard, but to also be seen through us. And Lord, for those of us here that are going through challenges, are tempted to, to doubt your promises, to doubt your faithfulness. 
I pray that you may use this message to reassure us that you have good intentions. I want to thank you for the young people that are here this morning. And I know, Lord, there's a lot in this world that wants to mislead them. For our children, our grandchildren, I pray for them, Lord, that you protect them from the snares of this world. That, Father, they may find their confidence they may find their identity, they may find their hope and the courage to face everything else in you. And that through everything, you may be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.